this is Brad Grigillo, long-term partner of cheesemaker extraordinaire Paul Lawler. Oh, no. <laughs> and that was a little Debussy for you. Listen to music when you're making cheese? Listen, when I'm making cheese, I need complete silence. You know when I listen to music is when I'm cleaning up. But during the cheese process, I am so easily distracted that I just have to be in the room at peace, like total silence. That really, I mean, I'm listening to the music of the milk. How about you? What are you listening That's to? That's so pure of you. <laughs> that sounds like a BS, well, doesn't it? I don't it? know, because I've been hearing this buzz about how actually, I think it's hip-hop music is actually really good for um, cheese, especially while it's aging. And <laughs> I don't know. I, I can do instrumental. I can listen to classical, or I can do maybe like old-time fiddle tunes or something, but I... Yeah, I certainly can't get too involved in like the sing-along, you know, Broadway hits or anything like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but it's, I wonder what other, hey, you know what? You should write to us, cheesemakers, and let us know, what do you listen to? Maybe we should have somebody make a playlist that would be perfectly suited to making cheese because we could all benefit from that. You should send it to us if you have one. Yes, yeah, please Definitely do. send us your playlist. <laughs> we need it. All right. I'll so. work on it. I'll work on listening to more music. <laughs> Paul Lawler wants your playlist. <laughs> or did you want to submit one? Oh, I want them. I want to hear new music. <laughs> <laughs> I need to refresh from my uh, early 2000s, 90s hip hop that's been a phase I'm going through right now. It's been all time between that and like Riot Girl kind of stuff um, at the moment. Um, when in my more uh, zen moments, more like kind of Yola Tango, you know? Yeah. Um, so, and and Miles Davis. Um, we could, we definitely need some playlists. Oh, um, let's get that sometimes going. Sometimes I get in ruts. Yeah. But music is great for cleaning and affinage. Absolutely. Essential. Yeah, essential. I would agree. It is essential. Send <laughs> us your music. We need it. So, welcome to the Collective Greenery Podcast, where we're crafting the conversation on American artists and cheese. I'm Steph Angstadt. And I'm Sue Miller. And we are very fortunate to be sitting here today in Lawrenceville, New Jersey, at Cherry Grove Farm with Paul Lawler, head cheesemaker, and Andrew Insua, who's the production manager who manages the herd here at Cherry Grove. In today's episode, Paul Lawler and Andrew Insua had a lot to say about how to make high quality cheese making milk from a primarily grass fed herd of Jersey cows um, and about how to work together as a team. Yeah, I really love that because oftentimes the milk production and the cheese production can be at, at war with each other. And that's certainly not the case here at Cherry Grove. And I think that spirit of that relationship really comes through and is important for us to embrace. So I really love I really love this interview. Towards the end of the interview, um, Paul tells us a little bit about what it's like to be a career cheesemaker, having um, grown up as a monger and then working at different farms and how he's been able to work on different teams and, you know, kind of benefit from this range of experiences. So, uh, yeah, cheers, everyone. Enjoy the episode. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Andrew, let's dive right in with you. So one of the things we'd love to talk to you about is producing milk for cheese making. What, how, has your, um, how did your journey begin at Cherry Grove? Uh, so I started here, I guess, just as a technically a production assistant, but essentially a farmhand. So just doing a bit of everything, including cows and all of our other animals here on the farm, uh, working with farm manager, production manager, two production managers ago, I believe. Um, and he came from a more conventional background and uh, treated the herd much more along the lines of a conventional dairy herd. Um, and that was my introduction. He was a lifelong dairy person and I was an archeologist, so had no idea what I was doing. I remember my first day just watching him and he said, well, just jump right in whenever you feel comfortable. So that was my uh, training as far as milking cows went. Um, and as uh, when he left, we, we had another farm manager who wanted a much more all grass kind of organic approach. Uh, and most of my, I guess, formative period um, as a farmer was uh, under his management. Um, and he left two years ago now, and that's when I took over. And I'm kind of trying to uh, do a middle ground between the two. Um, I'm uh, trying to take a bit more of a structured approach regarding our animals. Um, one of our... Uh, the unique qualities about Cherry Grove Farm is that we're in the middle of suburban New Jersey, and we are in many ways kind of bound. Um, so as far as expanding our land base goes, we don't really have that many options. Um, and the previous manager is trying to kind of expand the herd size to increase production, and I'm starting to retract it a bit, and I'm trying to kind of increase productivity per animal. but keeping very much aware that there is a definite upper limit on how many cows we can have on the farm. How many acres is the farm? It's a very good question. So, um, it's in there, two, it's in two parcels. It, it's isn't in it? two parts okay. parts. So, um, this, we call it the lower farm or the home farm. It has uh, 150 acres of pasture and then it goes up to about 200 acres. If you count some of our, um, well, non-dairy quality pasture and woodland. Um, we have a, a lot of pasture. Uh, my first two to three years here, we were in droughts, and that pasture was usable for dry animals and young stock. For the past year, and I would say 18 months, those pastures have been of almost no use. Um, too wet. Too wet. So yeah. I remember an uh, intern last year coming to me one day in the winter, and uh he showed me a picture of one of our pastures and there was a bunch of Canada geese swimming around in it. And it's been, it's been underwater for at least six months now. Yeah. Um, for those of you who aren't on the East coast who may be listening, we in 2018 had record rains yeah. and the ground here kind of, um, you know, it's pretty level, maybe some low, low ground. I know you have that beautiful pond out back that Oliver took us on a little hayride to yes. last year. We love that. Yes. Um, but I can see that with just this, how many inches of rain we've had, what a challenge it's yeah. been to get these cows out and not sacrifice your pastures. I mean, that's been another challenge over the winter is uh, we had traditionally done overwintering of our animals. So just leaving them out in the sacrifice pasture and feeding them out there and giving them kind of access to woods for shelter. Um, and, uh, 
it really has been a challenge for these last two years because the sacrifice pasture just turned into soup and you can't keep the animals in those conditions. And so then you're left in the situation, do you want to sacrifice more pasture or find a different solution for how you overwinter your animals um, or how you treat them in the winter? So we actually just built a secondary barn on the back of the farm. Uh, and we're going to start using that for, for winter shelter just because uh, I think at one point, we, we calculated we'd be losing, you know, one to two acres of ground, like a week to just mud um, and kind of recuperating from that without some pretty intensive tilling and reseeding is just would be too difficult for us. Right. Um, so trying to find that balance. And then it's also, is this the new normal or is it just a, a phase we're going through? Um, so, you know, plan for the worst, hope for the best, I think, is the approach we have to take. Um, but we do have some of this dry cow pasture that we were using pretty, uh, I mean, it was a core part of our pasture rotation for my first two or three years here. Uh, last last year, I think we got one week out of grazing out of those combined pastures, and that is about 30 acres of land. Um, so that is pretty difficult. Uh, and I did mention there is a second property that's about 45 acres, which we had been using for sheep. Um, we no longer are raising sheep and we are now using it for our young stock just to keep them removed. Uh, and, uh, for a time we had our bull up there, but he has moved on to greener pastures. <laughs> I know um, when they start to talk, they need to leave. <laughs> How many right. animals are you going to be milking this year? Um, about 30. Okay. So, and that, is that down from previous years or about the same? So when I first started, the herd was about 45. Okay. Um, and then it expanded to, I think at the, the most, it was about 57 animals and that was just too much. And so, uh, shortly after I started, I kind of took a hard look at the herd, um, and made some, I mean, it's always a tough decision, but trying to look at the productivity of the animal, um, you know, you do get attached to them. And I, we still do have a few cows that have been here the entire time I'm here. And, you know, their their continued existence on the farm is because everyone is attached. Well, I'm thinking of one in particular. She's like a dog. Um, what, what's her name? Mosey. Mosey. Uh, so um, she moseys, so she's slow. Uh, she is very solicitous of pets. Uh, and everyone loves her, and she just doesn't. She makes good milk. It's just she doesn't make much of it. Um, it seems like a good place for a cow to be, over here at Cherry Grove. You know, it is. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it seems like a really good place. Uh, and yeah, so uh, and you know, luckily we have been kind of sheltered for some of the milk price drama that's been going on because we don't have to worry about shipping milk, and so we're setting our own price. Having said that, uh, you still need to, if you're a cow, produce some milk. Um, and so, again, <laughs> you know, because we are making cheese, she does have very good components. So it right. does kind of balance out. But uh, I yeah. don't know. Andrew was, just, Andrew was just telling us that he had a handful of heifers fresh in this week. So, you know, if you're thinking about these heifers, they're on that other lot, probably, once they're bred, for that 45-acre parcel. Yes. Probably just, you know, out there doing your thing, not a ton of interaction for those teenage years, and then you bring them over, and they're like, what are you talking about? You want to milk me? Yeah. You want to so, touch me? Um, you know, the hormones <laughs> you <had> a- <laughs> and everything else, and they are... Uh, 
and we actually for a long time had been using nurse cows. So our interaction with the calves was very limited also. Um, and we are trying to change that now because it is, I mean, it's just dangerous. Um, if they aren't used to this and all of a sudden, you know, they have a baby and then you just shove them in the barn, lock their head in the thing and then attach this weird machine to them. They don't always react in the most predictable of ways, understandably so. Um, and it's just too stressful for them and they're stressed out enough as it is. And so we're trying to have a lot more interaction and kinds of um, hands-on. Yeah. Um, hands-on time with the, yes. the young stock. So they're just, they, they know your smell, they know your yeah. voice, they know the presence of you, they can pick up your tone. Right. That's a great idea. Um, <laughs> that's funny that you say that because, I don't know, maybe like 15 years ago when I did a lot of milking or 20 years ago, I started, you might like this idea, utter therapy. You remember right. that, utter therapy. So as the heifers kind of like, you know, because... You know, we're hand, we're feeding them bottle feeding, and we didn't right. have a nurse cow, and we're we were in with them. But as they start to spring, you know, bring their udders on, I would just like walk in there and just like every time I walked past them, I rub my hand down their udder as they were you know springing up the last two weeks or so before they calved. And honestly, I feel like it made such a difference for them. I just in some, and they loved it too when their udders were tender. You know, I just give them a little massage. Utter therapy is what I call it. Uh, I feel like the, one of the first times we met, we had a deep conversation yeah. about that. Yeah. That, <laughs> that is actually what our intern is doing right now. Um, she is bringing up utter our therapy. cows that are going to be freshening here in the next month or so. Uh, and so we have been bringing them up for some time, just to get them used to the barn because. We do have a bit of an odd setup in our barn. Um, there's some bottlenecking going on, so it stresses them out a bit with that. And uh, so we bring them in, and we've just trying to get them into the stanchions and getting them used to having people kind of poke and prod and touch them in various places. And I don't know if it's quite as therapeutic and massage-oriented as what you're describing, <laughs> but at least getting them acclimated to the process. No, that's great. I mean, that's what it is. I mean, because... You want them to be as ki as chill as possible when they come into milk, and it sounds like you guys are really working through that. That's wonderful. That's, that's what we're trying to do. And there's a, a few problem children, but <laughs> there always are. Yes. <laughs> so this is a question for both of you. Can you talk to us about um, what you believe makes great cheese making milk? I'm handing this over to Paul first. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, well, I think, I mean, what we just talked about, you got to have uh, relaxed cows <laughs> and very well cared for cows. So I think I'm somewhat spoiled in that regard in that uh, the advantage to being here is you've got this really, it's, it's very small scale. Um, and so you get this very, very specific uh, cared for milk. Um, so that's a treat, but I, I think it's, it's just about, I mean, clean collection <laughs> and minimal handling, uh, until it gets to me. Um, and we have a lot of Jersey cows, a lot of Jersey genetics in our herd, um, which plays really well into some cheeses, um, during certain times of the year. So it's, it's kind of a negotiation of seasonality, um, <sighs> in terms of quality too. Um, like I, I have to think about since I'm not taking 
the milk and standardizing it the moment I get it. <laughs> you know, like the the sort of challenge of this wonderful milk is we have to think about what goes with, with each season as it changes. Um, but we get really wonderful high fat milk. Um, and, and in the summer when it's a bit, uh, when it's, when it's all grassy, uh, and a bit thinner, that's when we make our, our, our Alpine cheese. Um, so yeah, you, it's just, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, honestly, at root, I just, I'm looking for, you know, the kind of what, what all good milk producers are looking for, um, low cell counts and, um, <laughs> happy, happy, relaxed milk. Um, yeah, I don't and know how else you're definitely to... getting the components and managing your components seasonally with the types of cheeses right. you're making. Um, that low cell count, low bacteria, clean milk. I mean, honestly, but you're getting took... the grass fed and the dry hay into them, so there's definitely a richness, and the flavor is beautiful in the cheeses and the color. The color is great; it's gorgeous. Yeah, it's um, that that stuff on the table. I wish, I guess, the listeners can't. I don't know. One day, maybe there'll be like Smello Radio or something. But um, there's some. Uh, this is from last May, actually, um, and so it's got a really nice this golden color. Um, but uh, and then the May, you know, the May June, the first batches of Havilah have kind of more of a uh, oniony thing going on, um, which isn't a surprise because you know those are things that cows get really excited when they come up in the fields to go for those those. More oniony scallion grasses, um, but um, yeah, um, and I don't know what else to say about quality. I think it's 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 there in care and and just looking for care and carefulness. Um, <laughs> sometimes I think uh, Andrew or whoever is milking if they if they see us prepping the vat or whatever. I don't I don't I you know I never I never want them to always. I'd, you know, the priority is the cows. It's like, I can, I can wait. Um, but, uh, and we have dial, we have dialogues on, I'm, I'm going off of the question now, but, um, we have, we have dialogues. Uh, I don't know. Sometimes we, we meet every, every Wednesday to tell each other what's up. Um, and then we'll sometimes just have it. We share, we have interactions between the, um, the 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 milk house um there's like a there's one floor we share <laughs> and then so we can he can tell me like oh there was you know i don't know the there was um uh, this they were on this field with root vegetables uh this week or uh radishes or whatever or you know we we can talk about what what they what they're eating and i'll jot that down on my make sheet and you know we'll see what Sean and i taste 6 months later or Three months later, or whatever the case may be. We should do a blind taste test. And then we can record it, and then you tell us what the notes are, and then we'll see. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it gets into sometimes translating, translate. I mean, I want to be able to translate this high quality milk. I mean, the thing is, we're small scale, it's high labor. Um, and so, you know, I think there are a lot of cheesemakers where it's like, it's about the cheesemaker you know, manipulating the, with a zillion different cultures and like, and for sure. Yeah. The cheesemaker has like a huge influence, but I'm just looking to like harness the milk and, you know, cash in on this. That sounds, that's not, that's a great phrase. Um, but, uh, on this milk we have to, uh, to try to, you know, do justice, to do honor to it. Um, 
I'd say you're doing a damn good job. But, um, well, anyway. That's what I look for in quality milk. Yeah, that was the answer. <laughs> okay, so now I want to get, like, me. Do you want to hear what Andrew Oh, yeah, let's hear what Andrew has to say about the quality milk. Um, and so, since I've only been doing this for five years, um, as far as making cheese milk, I really am just focused on producing quality milk and keeping the animals happy. Um, and we are, I guess, pretty labor intensive as far as our milking goes. Uh, it would probably make some people's hair stand on end, the amount of time and money we put into milking our, our herd of 30 animals. Um, but it does pay off because we are very in tune with all of their individual needs, and it allows us to kind of make day-to-day decisions as far as, you know, single cows in our group of 30 or 35 animals, what needs to happen. Um, and we are somewhat blessed in that regard. But uh, it has all been about just consistency. I mean, that's should be obvious, but consistency and just paying attention and just taking your time, um, not rushing through it. It's always a challenge because there's something else to do. But that's the one part of the day where I am very... Um, it's very important that you don't rush, that you do take your time. And it takes as long as it takes, and then you get on with whatever you need to get on with. And, you know, the chickens get rushed through that day, then the chickens get rushed through, because it's about the cows. I mean, I guess I didn't interrupt you. I mean, that's, um, I mean, that's was some of the decision-making. We, we, when I first came on here, we had, we just had a lot. I mean, you could attest to this too, but we had too much going on. So it's been a process in the last five years of narrowing in so we could really pay attention to the, the cows and the milk. Um, and on my front, just, you know, all the, the quality cheese in the, the aging rooms were a big part of it too, of focusing in on, uh, for, for, you know, translating that, uh, that milk into <laughs> consistency and quality. Oh gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I was just back and forth with the, the woman who brought me into this operation, Jamie Pung, the other night. We have a lot of war stories of the uh, early years here. Um, there was just a lot of equipment that kind of aged out in our, uh, I'd say our first two years. Um, and, uh, and so we got some grants, which we first year I was here, we built this, uh, really nice. I mean, it's like, it's like bigger than this room here by like an extra half room, which to translate to the radio is a really nice big room, <laughs> um, with a combination of French and Midwestern technology to help keep the cheese at the dew point we needed to be. And it was just like a whole lot and like better sanitation than the plant I think had thought about, you know, 15, 18 years ago. Um, and so it's been a series of <laughs> slow progressions to uh, just like, how can we have this more consistent and be less of a headache for ourselves? Right. Um, and uh, as, as you're kind yeah. of like upgrading systems. Right. Yeah. Right. And also just um, and, and just working on like like having less cheeses in the line so we can focus on them. Uh, and so it's like, I mean, I don't understand. I mean. Whatever. More more power to them if they can do it successfully. But the cheesemakers who have, you know, 10, 20 cheeses in the line, I just can't even fathom that. Like, um, I get from, I don't know if you ever get frustrated with this, but like the, the cheesemongers out there say, 
what's new? What's new? And it's just like, just trying to make the same stuff better. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't always say that. I mean, I try to, we do, Sean and I do have like a rotating, um, like we try to have, do some one-offs, especially in the winter when the milk's low. We'll do a lot of R&D or like things that maybe there's only going to be four batches of because it can be like a treat for the holidays for the cheesemongers or for, or in the summertime for all, like the gazillion farmers markets we do. But um, yeah. That, I think that's the vein of our all of our existence. What, what do you? Th- yeah, our customers <laughs> ask it all the time, and if they had any idea how complicated it is to develop new cheeses that are going to be dynamite, you know, yeah, that's why we pull our hair out. But we do like to be prodded every once in a while, right? Being prodded a little bit. No, it's nice to be challenged. I mean, that's <laughs> for me. That challenge has come from um, oh gosh, uh. Various interns. <laughs> oh, um, we uh, uh, this is a, we had a little gap in having having them, and now we we just started one this last week, and um, it's uh, I don't know, even uh, uh, on Friday, just having to like slow myself down, um, to to you know, I had to rethink about how I do things. I'm like, oh, I don't actually think about the steps. I just it's just like a physical, you know. I just I just wrap the wheels, you know. I, it's, yeah, and then I had to rethink and remember how I how I actually how I could teach that. But um, it's a nice challenge. But I've had I've had interns and and Sean, um, who's like my right hand essential guy in the make room, um, who. Uh, push me to do different things to the line which have totally turned out very wonderfully so it's it's good to have someone who uh keeps you on your toes <laughs> paul's re referring to sean fitzgerald who we interviewed last year here at the collective creamery podcast we'll put a link to that episode in the show notes so that you know once you're done listening with uh paul and andrew you can listen in about sean if you haven't already but he's a pretty interesting guy um, but yes, we had, uh, we, um, I guess to get back to some of the, well, it's, let's just say we've come a really long way <laughs> when I, whenever I have any moments of doubt, I, uh, or whenever I'm having a bad week, I have to like, think back of like, what did this look like three, four or five years ago? <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. I, I'm so glad you said that because I feel like some of those like journeys, like you and I have had conversations about over the years, just because we've known each other for so long. And I feel like there is such a good relationship between you and Andrew with what's happening here on the farm, with the production and the milk quality and the cheese and the end product. That could you guys talk about that a little bit, like how you two communicate, how this is. I just feel like things are really at a excellent place for for the production and the cheese. Yeah, no. Um I I mean I'm really glad to have Andrew because um we had a lot of there was just um you know staff turnover can be difficult. Um and and it just you know cows don't like too much in the way of variation <laughs> and uh, upsetting their ways of things. And, and um, as Andrew talked about a bit, we had uh, kind of a, some variations in the philosophy and the practices of like how they were handled. And, um, and I think it's, it's just nice to see things evening out and it's made like, I don't know. I mean, 
I'm on the production side, but it's it's made <laughs> it's made my life easier in terms of like uh, less defects to have to uh, do detective work on, um, which is awesome. Um, but um, yeah, and just and just more consistent, even even regardless of defects, just just more consistent flavor. But. I feel like I've had a lot of conversations with cheesemakers behind the scenes about how that we all just we long for stability <laughs> and you know i hear about people setting goals not to change anything just for a year and see what happens you know and i think also that the problem or the trouble is that as soon as you get stable and consistent then it's time to change something again so i feel your pain but i'm glad you're there i'm glad you're i'm glad you're getting there and just to add it, I think the other benefit, we both basically started at the same time. And so as the farm was working through some of these growing pains, we were both there. And it's uh, um, that has helped a lot because we both have seen where it was and where it is now. And we both know how, what it took to get there. And um, it's kind of you keep asking, like, how we interact with one another. And I always think to myself, you know, it'd be nice if we had, like, meetings every day where we talk about where the cows were and you know what's going on with the cheese and all these other things and a lot of our communication is just kind of I won't say impromptu but essentially impromptu where we cross paths in the milk house because that's where he's coming in to pull the milk in the morning to make cheese and you know I'm in there at the end of milking cleaning up and that's when we have a lot of our discussion and where we talk or texting yeah um because we are a you know small operation as far as how many people we have working here, and so you know a lot of times if he's in the 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 make room doing something, I'll be out in the back of the farm and in the middle of something, and so we have these conversations via text message. It doesn't always seem to be the most appropriate way to communicate, but it you know gets the information across. So it, you know. Andrew, I know you have to get back to work. I wanted to ask you um, something else before you leave us. Um, and that has to do with um, kind of the, the knowledge exchange between the dairy grazing community. The last time we were here, I remember chatting with you a little bit about um, like a little bit of a sense of isolation being here in New Jersey, which is not such a big dairy state anymore, and um, kind of how you continue to build on your knowledge base about this very unique form of dairying that is so pasture-based. Uh, so it is difficult because I you know, try and keep in touch with a lot of these people and they tell me things like, oh, you should come to this, gonna be this great pasture walk out here. And, you know, it's 30 minutes away from them and it's a three hour drive for me. And it's just, I, I can't do it. Um, and it's unfortunate. Uh, so I, I try and just read as much as I can and rely on email for a lot and just pester people because uh, as, you know, the most important part about learning on the farm for me has been just experiential learning, being out there and doing it. And I can't in a lot of these cases because I just can't get to these places and it's unfortunate. Um, and I am fortunate in that it's not dairy, but there are more people in this area who are starting to do grass-based beef, grass-based other ruminants. And so I can have communications with them about, you know, very local challenges we have regarding climate, for example, um, grasses that are working and aren't working. Um, so we used to rely on orchard grass as kind of the, the mainstay of a lot of our pastures. And these past two to three years, we just haven't been able 
we can't do it anymore. Um, the season has just disappeared. So we get, you know, a month in the spring and a few weeks in the fall and that's it. And what kind of approaches can we take to, to meet this changing climate? I don't know if I'm allowed to say climate change, but um, uh, changes that we've been having in climate. Um, and so uh, it's just communicating with, you know, non-dairy graziers and then relying on email and then reading things like Grace, which is fantastic. Um, and I try and go to pasta and do pasta things. But again, uh, this year they moved and it was just bad timing and I couldn't get out there. Um, but I am jealous of people who are in these communities where they have all of these farms within 30 minutes of them and they can just hop over to all these different places. Uh, yeah. Um, and so one of our, our former employees here is now starting an apprenticeship with Robin Pam Moore uh, up in New York. And uh, I think I'll take advantage of her being there and make a trip. But again, three hours away, two and a half hours away. Um, so uh, it, it is difficult. And then uh, the other thing, which is the temptation for a lot of people, is just relying too much on things you find online. Um, so there are all these message boards and you know, there's there's grazing reddits now, and uh, just got to take all of that with a grain of salt. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a challenge, but luckily there is a, a growing community that's more interested in kind of organic approaches to agriculture in the area. Well, more this is more for Andrew to talk about, but um, I don't know, sort of getting back to changes that we've made over the years that I think have turned out positively, which is the, the adopting the OAD uh, winter milking. Um, I don't know if you could talk a little bit about okay. what happened prior versus what's become kind of a, st a staple now. Um, so when I first started, we were twice a day year round. Um, and the, the big issue there was during the winter, we were still relying on dry hay for most of the cow's nutritional needs. And the cows were just losing condition during the winter because we were still actually asking them to produce, milking them twice a day. And uh, we would give them some grain, but not enough to meet their needs. So um, we have started, we started it during the, excuse me, when the previous manager was here, but we've tried to systemize it or systematize it a bit more so that once we start feeding dry hay, within one month, we will go to once a day milking. Um, and then we do that until the cows start freshening. So right now we're in this kind of awkward spot where we're milking about 20 animals, five of whom are these heifers who just calved. And so those five animals, and this is something that would make probably maybe a, another dairy operation. Someone running in our dairy cringe, but those five animals, we bring in on their own in the afternoon and milk those five animals for a second time in the afternoon. Um, and uh, it's important. I mean, you have to do it, uh, and it is a bit of a, <laughs> well, we'll see. The complication is larger because they're heifers and kind of crazy. Um, and uh, uh, I'm convinced now that, I mean, we can't go back because our cows, uh, as I was here, you could watch every, as they came out of every winter, they'd be a bit thinner and not necessarily in bad condition, but not where you would want them to be. Um, and uh, this the the past two winters have just been so miserable that um i yeah i will never go back to we we can't go back and we are talking about going completely seasonal at some point 
in the in the near future here. Um, we're just trying to get our breeding aligned so that everyone is calving at an appropriate time because since we were milking year round, we would have a, a large spring calving and then another one in the fall. And some of those fall cows that were calving were, are better cows because they were very productive. And we knew that we we're going to this slump in the winter and we wanted a more productive cows calving then because we could maintain a steadier milk supply. And so it's trying to bring those cows back in line with the spring calving, which has been the challenge um, without, you know, drying them off for a year or a year and a half to sink them back up. This makes me think of Kate Turcott up at Orb Weaver. Now, a much smaller herd, but they're calving. They're doing seasonal, but like a reverse season. So they're calving them all in in the fall and milking through the winter. And and I think that's partly because the history at Orb Weaver was that the owners gardened, had a vegetable CSA in the spring and summer, and then made cheese in the winter. But... I don't know. It's kind of appealing because that milk is so darn luscious in the winter. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> but it, like when you were talking about that, I was like, hmm, people would think you were really crazy if you did that down here. <laughs> right. You know, went to the reverse season. <laughs> anyway, see, that's the thing about farming. There's so many different ways to do it and to do it well. And you just have to, you know, have confidence in your way, you know, <laughs> as you're doing it. That's cool. Andrew, thank you for joining us, and um, we look forward to the day that you switch to a totally seasonal production schedule and spend your winters in the Caribbean. <laughs> right? Isn't that what everyone does? Well, Do that, that is farmers? the goal. That is the goal. Um, so I'm just gonna actually going to move to the Caribbean and manage the farm remotely from my smartphone. It's, it'll all be Wi-Fi um, controlled by then. So within three years. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so if we want to do this again, then you can come down and <laughs> visit me as I'm sitting on a beach somewhere. Thanks for joining us. Thank Thanks you so very much, Andrew. Have Cheers. a great day. It's so you beautiful too. today. <laughs> do you know how Paul and I got to know each other? I don't. All right. All right. Do you remember when we first met? I'm not sure. Was it? Is it the, the Bruno's meeting? It was at the Brewer's Plate. Oh, my gosh. When I was stirring... And burning myself with dogfish head fondue <laughs> in Reading Terminal. <laughs> yes. yes. Oh my gosh. The first time we yes. met. The yes. The first time we met, I was like, I had just started making cheese and um, got invited to come down to the Brewer's Plate because De Bruno Brothers w- was in the VIP section. <laughs> Remember, it was back in Reading Terminal yeah, yeah. Market. And we were like behind a curtain or something. It was very <laughs> rudimentary, wasn't it? <laughs> VIP. <laughs> VIP. I do remember like one of the fondues Zeke told me, who was a cheesemonger there and is beloved in um, Philadelphia, told me that they went to get the special beer for one of the fondues out of the cooler and it was gone. I think somebody down there at Ninth Street had a really nice afternoon. Mm. <laughs> so they had to go around the city finding the beer. But you and I met over making It's a wonderful uh, place. That was really that was yeah, great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Paul, I think that we should like kind of can we talk about how you came to cheese because you really came to oh, it. Oh gosh. You know, you were a part-time cheesemonger then. Right. And you were also working at the library. Yeah, yeah. University I remember of, that. Was yeah. that at University yep. of the University of the Arts, yeah. So yeah, I've got a good memory. Yeah. It's maybe better than you sometimes. I thought I, yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I am very absent-minded. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sean can tell you that. No. But, um, but yeah, I, um, 
Gosh, well, it was kind of a bit of serendipity um, and a little bit of practicality. Um, I I was saving up for a trip to visit my brother uh, in the UK. Who had, uh, he and his wife had just had a awesome baby, and um, and so I got this second job in cheese. I had like a really enthusiastic food friend who was like, "Oh, you're trying to save? Why don't you join me at De Bruno Brothers?" Um, and at that time, I was also volunteering for a local foods organization, like maybe twice a week called Fair Food. So I was starting to get like an inkling of the local food scene um, by like folding produce boxes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the glamour side of the job. Um, yeah. So my gosh. Yeah. Like 25 year old hungover Paul folding produce boxes wrong. It was something. Um, who, who got you to go to encourage you to go to DeBruna Brothers? Oh my God, Marissa Wicker. Oh, yes. Marissa, Ouch. who is now She's in California. Yeah, right. yeah. And gosh, I need to give her a call. Right now, she's going to hear this. <laughs> you owe her a call. Okay, but she stole win food too. Yes, and her husband's an amazing uh, pastry chef. But, um, but yeah. Um, so she convinced me to go, and the first night that she wanted me to go, they were having like a tasting of like salamis and like things. These salamis from the pacific northwest and i was just like this is what you do for like this is work. your job this is crazy um and i'm like sure i'll do this to like you know and i gosh and i had a, I just had a series of really you know, just like charismatic people behind the counter who trained me there and it was just like you know one piece for the customer and here's another slice to like, so you can taste what this Colston Bassett Stilton is and get its flavors. And, you know, they're just like these, um, I don't know, just these charismatic, uh, Italian cheesemongers. And, uh, it was amazing. It was, I mean, it was a great place to learn the ins and outs of the families of cheese and whatnot. Good training Um, grounds, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And then I'd get to go to fun events like the Brewer's Plate. <laughs> right. Connect with local scene. Um, and by the time I was ready to take the trip to visit um, my brother and his wife, I had realized that I loved um, English and American cheeses were my favorite. And, um, and so half the trip ended up being about cheese. They sent me to Neil's Yard Dairy and I did like a tour of the, or well, I went basically on one, one of their early morning pickup runs um, down to Somerset. And oh, did you really? Yeah, so I hopped in their van along with them. And uh, I think it was... Did you go to Jamie Montgomery's? And- yep, yep, and Keen's. And I was... I have- did you get to Mary Holbrook's at all? Yes, actually, what? too. Yeah, I have a picture. <laughs> There's a picture of one of her goats in my bedroom. <laughs> That's too from, funny. Uh, yeah, from, gosh, 2000... Was that 2007 or six? It's one of those, but... Um, I looked to Brad for dates because I don't remember dates, but, um, but yeah, I, um, and it all, so once I came back from that trip and I had been mongering for a little while, then I just, um, I felt like spoiled for just continuing to sell. I mean, she's mongering is like wonderful, but I, um, I don't know. I wanted to have my hand deeper in it. So I started, I kept mongering and I started looking, um, to like, how could I make this my life? And, then somehow, I don't even know how Mark and Mel came into the picture. Um, I feel like they I, were, I you might have been buying from them at, at I, Fair yeah, Food maybe. and they advertised oh, for an yeah, intern yeah, yeah. internship. And then 
feel like yeah. we had a conversation. The next thing I know, you were heading to <laughs> South Central Pennsylvania <laughs> to work with our friends at Keswick Creamery. Yeah. English yeah. style cheeses are kind oh. of their love too. Now I remember a little bit, but I remember I went to visit and... Um, oh, it might have been I a buying either, trip. Yeah, it either had, had their blue prior or during the visit. And I thought, hey, man, this is amazing. I want to try to learn to make raw milk blue cheese. And now I know I didn't really want to do that. But... <laughs> Because we talk about we talk about that all it's a the whole time separate on topic this, yeah. on this podcast. <laughs> but um, but I did want to like get my hand in there, and I learned a lot of you know they just like pasteurization, yogurt making, ricotta. Like, it's still one of my favorite memories is my is I think it was Tuesdays there we'd make ricotta, and I could pull it out of the vat into these baskets, and in the other room I'd have some lemon and olive oil I'd put it under the warm ricotta and that'd be my lunch and then I'd go back to scrubbing things but um yeah I looked at a couple of creameries um and um before I settled you spent on a whole a whole season there right yeah yeah so I, I had a season there um I left I think right when they were starting the uh <laughs> right before Michelle Obama visited them at markets, <laughs> I'm like, darn it! Right, but um, didn't get to at the her. at the new newer at the new then uh, White House uh, market or or whatever it's called. But um, yes, um, but um, yeah. So I went on from there. Um, I had I sort of right afterwards. I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do, so um, that's when I I went back to being a buyer of of gourmet goods for a little while while I was kind of figuring out my footing of where I wanted to be agriculturally um, uh, for Kimberton. I worked and then, um, and then I happened to be in your neighborhood. Um, right. So I hung out with you a little bit during that time period. Right. Um, and gosh. Um, Cricket Creek. And then Cricket Creek. Yeah. So then I had, the, oh, well then fair food really. Oh. So then I worked for fair food and he was, um, the, he was a great cheese buyer. <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of fun. That was like right when when I was a volunteer at Fair Food, there was like three raw milk cheeses or four maybe at the most. And uh, and maybe half of those four at any given time were exciting. Um, and then when I arrived, it was like, oh, there was starting to be this plethora of options in all the families and coming out of places from Pennsylvania that you didn't think were coming out of before. And your cheeses were getting woo. And uh, that's my description. Woo. Ooh. But uh, <laughs> And you got so a proper cheesecake. They needed a place. Yeah, right. So I was like, okay. And so one Christmas season, um, I found this used case from some closing out store and... Um, and Anne's husband, Joe and, um, Brad one Christmas right before the holiday season, we squeezed it in. It was like, you know, up to like midnight in the Reading terminal hammering away. And, um, and so we had this, this counter, um, and it was, it was a lot of fun. And, um, I really, I, I got so much out of the experience of just working with local farmers and part of my job at being a nonprofit was sometimes I would go visit an Amish producer to talk about sanitation. Um, sometimes I would be talking to a producer about marketing. Um, but one of the things is I would visit these producers and make cheese with them. And I would just be like, Oh, I miss this. What am I doing? Even though it was supposed to be like a six month job, I thought until my next cheese making thing. And then just turned into three years. And 
that then I was just like, oh, it's time to time to go. So I knew I needed more training. So then I did an apprenticeship at Cricket Creek in the Berkshires, in the tippy top of the Berkshires. Um, really wonderful town, Williamstown. Um, and I learned a lot more there. Um, a lot more about raw milk cheese. Um, just, uh, I really got to focus there where I, I, was, I did a lot of different things um, with Mark and Mel um, as, as needed. Um, I really focused on tome and this Telegio style up there and a lot of affinage work up there. Um, and it was a treat. The crew there was really exceptional while I was there. Um, Toffer is still, he's like the, the owner slash everything cow man. Um, and then Susie Konecki, who was there at the time, was just like this powerhouse of energy that was really inspiring. Um, but yeah, then, um, and that kind of tapped into what I had realized I loved wash drying cheeses. I realized I didn't want to make British style cheeses, but I, I realized I wanted to make uh, more European style, more, I don't know, American cheeses in that sense, right. um, in the sense of just creative. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. things that don't easily fit into uh, a category, a category mm-hmm. but are, you know, often of European origin, but, um, but where we get to, we get to play a little bit and yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, a couple little stops here and there, and you ended up here at Cherry Grove. Yes, yeah. Um, I was wondering if um, Stephanie and I were talking about this. Like, you know, can you share what it's like for you to have this career in cheese? I mean, I kind of see you always being in in cheese and, you know... um, You know, the challenge for a lot of folks like you is you don't have your own farm. Yeah. You don't have the... the capital to maybe like go out and build your own cheese making operation. And so there's this whole thing, like it's a great service to say this, this family that you're here guiding the cheese program. It's huge for the well being of this close to 200 acre farm. Yeah. That's been in the family for how many generations? Right. Um, (laughs) many generations. Well, yeah, since, uh, Stop that. Okay. <laughs> Some cheese on the mic. <laughs> um, oh dear. Okay. So, um, so yeah, no, it's, it's been in the family for over a hundred years. Um, so it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, but it's been, it's been cheese the last, last 15 years and raw milk cheeses for just, just over 10. Um, and, uh, no, it's awesome. I mean, it's lucky that I found someone who, to, to me, this is where I look out, is that I found someone who um, believes in a vision of producing quality cheeses um, and also believes in, you know, trying to, I mean, we're, <laughs> it's a process of crafting what sustainable means to you, but, you know, whatever our vision of sustainable is and that I have someone behind me that, that believes that. Um, and isn't I mean for me this is this is also like I mean it's an this family is a big friend to uh, land preservation in the area and that this isn't another uh, Merck or GlaxoSmith Klein campus which is I mean there have been many offers on this land sure. um, could easily have become that right exactly and so you know that that's why 
except we, it wasn't the will of the family. Right, right. Yeah. That's great. Um, and that's I, how I, I so I, I think there's, I, I like to sink things in the New Jersey landscape that are not just like <laughs> strip malls and whatnot. Yeah. So yeah. New Jersey's a really beautiful state. Yeah, I think it kind of gets thrown under, under the bus, but when you travel through this state, there's a lot of beauty to it that people just don't know about. And this is just another one of those pockets of a beautiful yeah. community. And there is a dairy heritage to the state. And so you guys being here is part of, you know, honoring that legacy and being, you know, one of the last remaining dairy farms here that are, yeah. that are profitable, you know, that are figuring out how to be profitable by adding value. Right, right. Yeah, one of the things uh, earlier we were talking a bit about the down the line of uh, becoming seasonal again and I guess one thing we didn't mention is kind of sorting out the practicality of that. And so not only does it, it take time to become seasonal again, but that's allowing us the time to figure out the, the money of it. We're looking to, um, among things, um, partner, hopefully, fingers crossed, with a goat dairy um, to increase the milk supply uh, without putting more burden on Andrew. Um, that would be exciting. Some yeah. Goat's milk yeah. cheeses coming out of Cherry Grove. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Fingers crossed. We're, we're negotiating with this young couple who want to uh, want to bring up their operation uh, and have have right now quality goat's milk. So we'll see. We'll see. Check, check in in a year or two. Really two. Maybe three. Oh, God. I hope not three. But <laughs> two would be nice. Um, but yeah, no, this is... Um, Oh, I'm totally on a tangent now. Well, going, I? I mean, going back to this question of, you know, you're a career, you've become a career cheesemaker, I oh, guess right, you stumbled right. into it really, but you've embraced it and you're flourishing in this role. And I wonder if there's something that you know now that you like oh, wish man. you had known when you started or like what, have there been some, um, you know, keys to having good relationships with, you know, with the farm owners over the years? Yeah. Um, I think it's not, this isn't a good business for impatient people. Um, you really have to have some patience with, I mean, that's, I, you'd think it would be kind of, I don't know, maybe it's, you'd laugh at this, but you'd think it'd be kind of natural to like agriculture or farming, you know, but, but I think you really need to be able to take some long views of change, you know, and I know that everything in dairy costs so much or value added dairy, I should say, um, that like, um, you need to be patient and flexible with the people you're working with. If you're, you know, not the owner, understand the costs of things. Um, and for the infrastructure is staggering high, that capital investment. Right. Right. And, uh, and also like find someone, I mean, I, I think one of the nice things here is, um, <laughs> So Oliver was sort of uh, inspired by a, a talk of um, Ari's that he went to, uh, I guess, two years ago. Um, Ari from Zingerman's? Yeah, about open open finance. And so... Oh, I'm intrigued by that as well, that open book management. Yeah, yeah. And also, I was I tried to influence him from... That was partially my experience at Cricket Creek, too, was that they had a weekly meeting where they one of the things they shared with their apprentices was like a fi different financial aspect every week of the farm. And, um, and I think, yeah, being aware of the economics, um, <laughs> but overall just having, having patience for processes um, and knowing that nothing in this profession 
without dumping money into something, which, you know, um, not everyone has the means to do. Um, uh, yeah, not, uh, things this also, don't come right. fast. Yeah. No. Anyway. Nor, nor does the cheese. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. Um, we were talking about custom cheese a bit before this a little bit too. And sometimes I do things for people um, because they're good customers or because right. they give us free wine. <laughs> <laughs> And then so you're a month later, you can be bribed. Yes, okay. yes, ba- yes, it's a barter. It's a barter. <laughs> There's a lot of that is one of the. I actually think that's one of the most fun aspects of being in this community too, is all the bartering that happens, um, but and all the relationships that build off of that too. I love um, at Head House. Paul stopped in. He's like, "Do you want to do Christmas cheese exchange? <laughs> I'll bring you cheese, and then you bring me cheese." So you know, this is oh, really great it. spirit of doing that. And yeah, little surprises. Yeah. Yeah. The bartering is great. I want to expand that this next season. Oh, yeah. We should get, get it like a cookie, like a cookie exchange. Involved. Yes. Oh, that's a great idea. Maybe that should be a uh, a guild thing. Guild cookie I don't exchange. Know. A, I mean, a good a guild cheese I don't know. exchange. <laughs> anyway, I like um, it. Gosh, I would. I, I guess one of the things too that uh, speaking of like sort of coming up in the industry is that I that I appreciate about the industry is that. Um. I guess it gets a little bit back into money is that um, I I guess I appreciate how accessible it was for me to get into it at the time Um, that, you know, I didn't have to at the time I thought I was going to go on and and get a get a get my get a master's in in, uh, library science and I was going to become a librarian. Um, I thought that that was perhaps the path for me until I got dissuaded by cheese. Um, But uh it's, you know, it's just amazing that you can get a, you could get this little hourly job and ascend the ranks, um, and that I could find, or I could, you know, that I could find Mark and Mel who are just willing to take me under their wing and uh, live with them for a season to learn the ins and outs. Um, so I guess um, right now, I think. There's a lot of tendency in the industry towards like a more formalized system of things. And I know sometimes that actually makes me uncomfortable because <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like that you could just kind of like find it right. and, and sort of it's accessible. work and do things. Right. Yeah. Um, and well, I appreciate the efforts to like uh, increase appreciation of what we do as like an industry um, I yeah, I, I I hope that accessibility remains for people who are coming up now. Yeah, the share of knowledge is like a really important thing, isn't it? Uh, yeah, and yeah. The, kind of the share of the culture. Right, right. Yeah, no, I am. Um, <laughs> even with our our people who do like farmers markets or whatever, I just like I encourage them to like you know get out there, talk to other people, and exchange with their their samples and whatnot at the end of the day and whatever uh but um yeah (laughs) um but anyhow um i don't know what else can we talk riff about on that topic well i think stephanie had some like human resource well yeah i mean you guys were talking about your small you know your small team here i mean how much you manage and how few of you there are so can you give us like a rundown of who's involved here Oh, what gosh. the roles are? Yes. Okay. So, in theory, we didn't have one last year. Um, there, there's an intern. 
on each side, on the farm side, on the creamery. Uh, and then each of those interns have a little bit of overlap with the other side, um, like a like a few milking shifts or uh, handling chickens, uh, depending on where their interest lies. Um, and um, and then we have myself, and we have Sean Fitzgerald, um, and then we have two part timers. <laughs> <laughs> um ideally we mm-hmm. don't, we we have one right now so if anyone wants to apply um no but uh but yeah and maybe i have one more person for the holidays and okay. during the peak in the cheese house yeah okay. or well <laughs> or as needed sometimes if i can just pull someone in to handle deliveries that takes that off my plate during the holidays that's that's also a, a sweet deal um how about on the marketing but, side yeah, so then we have uh, one person who handles all our farm store, um, which which is staffed, um, and we have a bunch of people who just like who split between farm work and going to farmers markets. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's actually how our our current herd manager Anna uh, started out, uh, and, and she's awesome. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so. Um, no, no. So there's that. Um, and then we have three people who are, um, just on the farm side as well. Uh, and then they, they have, like I said, they have people who are shared with marketing. Um, but, uh, so it's, it's, I, (laughs) at peak during the summer when we're doing a zillion farmers markets. How many markets do you do? Oh gosh. I well, it very it's varied on the year, but between seven and eleven. Oh. Wow! But, yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah. And then does Ka- so Kathy is your head of marketing, right? Right. right. Does, so Kathy Simon, yeah, markets. she okay. she runs everything, everything marketing, markets, farm store. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so cool. we're we're fortunate in that. I mean, unlike any other farm experience I've had, we're in a location. I mean, that's <laughs> there's disadvantages as, as Andrew spoke of with being so far away from other dairy, um, uh, versus like the advantage being that <laughs> we have a well, a nice, nice customer base who's willing to, um, right. you know, come visit us and spend money at our farm store locally. Um, so, and being right off of an easy traffic route, that's, that's nice. Um, but, and, and the community has really embraced us, embraced us. Um, we have a big annual event, um, called the cow parade, um, which a lot of people come out for, um, and where we parade the most well-behaved cows, usually the two weeks before we're making little headdresses. Um, and it's sort of our pseudo Swiss our our come down the mountain except we have no mountains um so a celebration <laughs> where we have food trucks and I a bonfire it. we have two fire pits on this farm we this my, definitely uh, have to go to that this year I want to but, uh, come it's I really incredible come. yeah how many um, people come for that oh gosh uh we kind of well speaking of sacrifice pastures um we have to like it's a big challenge to figure out the parking um and uh, but at least I'd say at least two hundred people. Wow! Yeah, cool. um, that really sounds fantastic. But it's like a perfect like it's like crowded without being too crowded. And there's, you know, we do hay rides and there's like a local wine tasting and just like, um, and then we invite two local food trucks who use our stuff on a, on the regular. But yeah. Oh, that's really great. 
That's great. Um, how many, on average, how many pounds of cheese are you guys producing in a year? Yeah. I'm sure it changes. And I wish, <laughs> I wish certain, Sue, I'm sure you can feel this way, or I'm sure you're both good, but I wish certain uh, customers would understand our scale sometimes. <laughs> oh, really? Because the demand is stronger than you can supply usually? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, which is, we love our customers, but, um, but the, uh, gosh, um, yeah, so hopefully we'll be at 38,000 pounds of cheese this year. Um, so we're looking at, um, and that's a, uh, we're going to, we're looking at a five to 7,000 pound increase this year. Okay. Um, great. So we went, we, we, when we basically four years ago, we, we, we took a dip, um, both to focus on more grass fed and to really focus on the cow's health. Um, and, uh, so we're getting, we've been steadily climbing back up since then um and uh well that's exciting isn't yeah. it yeah no it's 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 nice um and uh i think we're i think we're gonna our goal is to eventually to be at about 48 um okay we think that's kind of like where between what andrew was saying about uh, maximizing <laughs> well having a healthy happy cow you know maximize, maximizing their their production um, and using the land we have, right. um, I th- think that's where we can, where, where we can be, where that'll be, I'm hoping that'll be our, our happy, healthy place. Yeah. For it's a big, production. I mean, scale is such a big question for people to answer, you know, like what is the right scale for your land, for your milk supply, for your distribution? And it's true. You guys, I'm surprised at how small that number is because I feel like you're so well known and you have like a pretty big reputation on the East coast oh, yeah. for, you know, for, <laughs> for, um, 38,000 pounds, which is actually less than I thought. So yeah, that's impressive, but Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you'd ha- be happy if your customers were. I wish I had a bit more to say with yeah. that number. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> we definitely need more Havla. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah. So these customers need more brie all the time. Where's the brie every yeah, newsletter? Yeah, you get the. You definitely get the brie pressure, don't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I just put a post up um, on Cheesemonger Gossip and Support because I was looking for some B names of cheeses because we have this B family, Brie and Burkswell and um, Bijou. So I thought, oh, I'll ask the cheesemongers and didn't a couple people say buttermilk, buttercup Brie. Oh, good. Buttercup Brie. And they weren't even, <laughs> they were from a little bit further away. So hmm. like, ah, there you go. More Brie. Pretty well done. <laughs> sometimes when you get it, you give it to distributors, you, sometimes you just never know how far it goes. Yeah. <laughs> but, and it's a surprise where you hear someone had it in some place in Manhattan or Brooklyn and you're like, oh, it's well, such a good cheese. I'm glad it's traveling. Mm-hmm. Speaking of buttercup, that's kind of a good segue into what I wanted to ask you about because then you can talk about this or you can decline. But um, when I saw you at ACS last summer in Pittsburgh, um, the award ceremony had just happened <laughs> and oh I guess we were at the festival of cheese and I was tasting all the cheeses on the bloomy rind table and I just thought your buttercup was like one of the best batches I've ever had mm-hmm. I was so proud of it I was like I know that guy you know um and then I remember running into you and you had like kind of this frown on your face Uh-oh. and you 
<laughs> you were very disappointed in the feedback that you had gotten. Um, and I remember you saying that like one of the, um, one of the parts of your evaluations is something that the, the Brie had like an unsavory yellow color to it, which is just <laughs> shocking to me because it's grass-fed Jersey cow's milk and it was a beautiful color. So, okay, so my question is, I mean, that's so disappointing, but my question is, how do you take feedback like that? Like, do you just take it with a grain of salt? Is it something you let roll off your back? Yeah, okay. I yeah. used to really take it to heart. <laughs> And I still find, I mean, I will say, I, I think they've got, I actually think they've gotten a little better over the years as oh, well, to like being more detailed. Cause I'd used to get these sheets back where it's like one line Random and number. like, or like, yeah, yeah, right. And then some things were just blank and other things were like one sentence that was entirely unhelpful or like, you know, this could be better. I'm like, great. How? <laughs> <laughs> and just like, or, um, uneven body, like how, you know, and, and just like. I don't know. Like as as small scale cheesemakers, we invest so much when we send off, you know, wheels of cheese um, to a you know not cheap conference. Hey, yes. Um, but um, but yeah, and it's it's wonderful. I think it's great to see like walk into that that festival and see all of our colleagues out on tables. Basically, it's like your your babies, um, and it's cool to see what how everyone's progressed and like well, who's the new players and it, I think it's in a very exciting competition but um yeah the food the feedback can be challenging where you're like oh my gosh like I don't know there was so much more to that cheese than these two lines or the most frustrating thing yeah where it's I I just think they're not always looking for what you're making um like in the sense that like maybe this you know what they're making is more is like an industry consent or what they're looking for is an industry consensus consensus yeah like ideal. the industry standard like the right and we're not type cheese right we're not making the hundred and fifty thousand pounds of uh a bloomy factory when um, we're when you're like producing this gorgeous milk and you're excited about all the flavors that is going to impart in the cheese Sometimes in the competition, you're feeling like that is becomes not the asset of your becomes cheese. It becomes a liability. It becomes almost. a liability. Right, pasture becomes a liability. Definitely, to be frank. you know, it's yeah. hard for a raw milk cheese to win some of those categories mm -hmm. because there's just so there's much happening. Oniony, farmy right. flavors, right. you know, the stuff I've, that we all love. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and and I just thought it was brilliant that you guys had Rare Bird in the. Um, Farmstead cheese competition. Oh yes, and the fact that it took home that gorgeous ribbon this year was really great because that, that cool. yeah. category is huge. You're up against. It's actually not even fair that that category exists in the way it does, yeah. because it's all of the cheeses, right? Kind of being it's, judged against each other. It feels like all that the different category styles really could be expanded to include. Oh, totally. Right? Yeah. That, I, I mean, that's a place for this us smaller producers. Right. To you could kick some of these oh, yeah. um, low fat flavored things to the <laughs> curb. <laughs> or or make know, their category make, more general. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, right. you know, like split up that farmstead cheese category. Right. right. Oh, totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a yeah. cultural shift. Thank you, Brad. Okay. An, we have an industry <laughs> shift. Yeah. <laughs> Really, too. People are more aware of it now, and it's more, it's much more popular. So, yeah, I don't think that. I think that now that it's more in the public, I think really should be treated as a different animal entirely. 
Yeah, yeah these farmstead and raw milk cheeses. We have yeah. we have Paul's partner Brad chiming in here. Thank you. But just <laughs> about how it's a, you know it's a cultural shift that needs to take place. And um, I don't know ACS if anyone is listening. Maybe we can start. Or, or maybe sure. a different competition. Or maybe a different competition. Yeah, For that's right. But small producers I, I, or something. I think kind of like the Good Food Awards or whatever. I think it's important for us to be talking about it because I do meet small, really small scale producers. I mean, super tiny micro creameries with goats or sheep or 10 cows who, you know, they get some feedback and it's very discouraging. And um, I think it's important to, yeah, take everything with a grain of salt, so to speak, um, especially at some of those bigger competitions and make sure that it's not going to shape who you are. If your customers are happy and you're selling, you're selling your cheese and you're proud of them, then, hey, that's important. That is really important. Yeah. Right. That's really the most important vote of confidence is from your customers. I think so. More so than any competition ever would be to me. Yeah. I mean, those, those ribbons, it's a nice, like... <sighs> So nice extra little validation, of course. Like it's not, I'm never gonna say no. <laughs> Don't sure. give me that ribbon. Sure. But but yeah yeah no I do I, at this point I do um, I take it I think about it I anal I I think about it and see what can benefit me from analyzing these this feedback. But but ultimately it's like. 10% or 5% of it is useful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you find that the ribbons? Um, affect your sales or do you think oh, totally. they yeah. definitely boost up your yeah. sales yeah yeah mm-hmm. i mean that's, that's good. i don't know if rare bird would be becoming i don't know i really love it as a cheese but i guess i don't i don't know it would be a debate as to whether it was now taking a permanent place in the line versus another cheese if we hadn't won that award i don't know right um but it's a wonderful cheese paul had a beautiful spread of cheese set out for us and i've Oh yeah. Single-handedly eaten three quarters of the rare bird. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> okay, you and I did. Okay. But we were ta- we were talking a moment too about cultures, and I think you know for these competitions and for certain um, you know end market customers, I mean, it, maybe it's helpful to have stabilized milk that you reconstruct with. Um, a whole cocktail of cultures that are going to get really just the exact flavors that you want every single time. And um, yeah, we, we hope to, on this podcast, we hope to keep, you know, putting the microphone to the small scale producers that are focused on the milk quality and sort of nurturing natural flavors and kind of like getting out of the way a little bit, you know, and, and which is what you guys are doing. Um, and you know, Andrew's a testament to that too, um, that you're so focused on grass and you're, you're actually backing away from, you're actually trying to back down from using so many cultures. Right. Yeah. I mean, we've definitely cut down over the years. I mean, I am totally a fan of predictability. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. (laughs) So I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not remotely ready to, you know, drop the freeze dry, freeze dried, um, packets at all. Um, (laughs) but, um, I mean, long-term goals. Sure. I, I actually do have one of my creamery long-term goals. I'd like to, uh, eliminate the commercial cultures out of two of the cheeses in the line, but that's like, ask me in two years. (laughs) But, um, but yeah, um, I mean, it's it's trying to be as minimalist as we can to to harness um, all the investments we're making on the farm side. Um, yeah. You mentioned that Rare Bird is taking a permanent place 
in your oh, yeah. cheese line. So, um, and I think Kathy mentioned you guys are trying to scale back a little bit in terms of the oh, variety. Yeah. 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 Has yeah. that been a tough process to make decisions oh, like that? Gosh. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, you always have, whenever you deduct anything, you have yeah. people who are like, oh, that was my favorite. Yeah. Oh, what yeah. are you doing? <laughs> when are you bringing it back? Then <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, never. <laughs> The affinage was a pain in the ass. You, you don't even know. Um, but um, they don't know. Yeah, you know, they, they just know they liked what they ate, but which is which is great. You know, I'm happy. That's like one of the key reasons I'm in this business is like, you know, I like seeing uh, I used I don't go to farmers markets so much anymore. But, you know, the occasional farmers market or event um you know, seeing the reactions of the person who's eating the cheese and seeing them get a lot out of it. Um, you know, that's a big part of why I'm in this business. Um, but yeah, um, it's, it's, it's anytime you cut something, it's, it's a big way is because we don't make a ton of cheese per year. Um, and I want to have something, I want those customers that enjoy the Havla and the Brie to, and the Toma and to keep returning and enjoying it. Um, so I can't make too much as much as as much as like being a creative person, you know, you want to like, oh, let's make a little blue or let's let's make a little this or that. Um, and so part of my solution is making some cheeses very seasonal and that that helps in some ways um, with the creative impulse. But yeah, we're um, anyone who's a fan of our jacks out there. <laughs> Right, we gotta oh. grab a full nettle jack. Watch out. We, I mean, you got excited be... when you went in the store today and you're like, oh, nettle. Yeah. <laughs> We're, they'll still be around now and then. They'll just be a lot more minimal production okay, uh, right. of it. Um, That's sensible. No, right. you, yeah. you deserve that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not something our plant was really built to make, nor am I physically built to make. Um, I remember. Um, Neville McNaughton, uh, cheese consultant, who's a really nice guy, um, on his second or third visit to the plant, he made some comment about uh, me and my colleague's stature, like oh. physical, or like cheese as cheese makers. Right. It's like, you're some of the, you know, it's not exactly. Uh, it would have a, I bet it would be cheese makers uh, for these cheeses. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you ought to think about that. It must have oh been you and Jamie. He was really Yes, yes, Jamie. totally. <laughs> I know, it like, does, does put a demand on your body. Yes, you yeah. Know? You know, that I guess that's something I've learned over my career path too, that I I you know, my ten ten years ago self did not think about at all, you know, in terms of what your uh balancing enthusiasm with your what your body's supposed <laughs> to do. Yeah. <laughs> what comes easily to you as a cheesemaker? Oh gosh. Um well I guess having had a background in cheesemongering, um, just enthusiasm for taste and, and wanting that to be something that's sort of infectious, uh, to other people, um, say I'm training to do farmer's markets or the other employees, um, and hopefully Paul, the customer. Paul can write a hell of a cheese description. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and convey it. Yeah. Oh, right, right. So we have a we have a tasting board in our packaging room, um, which is all part of quality control. Um, 
where every Tuesday we're, we're tasting batches and evaluating what's coming up the pipeline. And we watch, we write all these notes down. And sometimes at the end of the year, when the board's all full, the end of the holiday season, uh, we, uh, we, we, it's just really funny. Or when we have guests in who wander in the packaging room and are like roasted chicken skin or like, you know, they just read these descriptors. Uh, what is uh, we <laughs> Oh my gosh, there have been some really... <laughs> some real good ones. I can't wish I could think of some of the really more esoteric ones over the years. Um, but there have been some really great ones. Um, and so I guess the, the language of the industry is something that's always been in... And also just like the... I don't know, it, there's a certain like... You know, I thought it was just part of what every cheesemaker should feel, Right. Um, but I've realized over the years, it's not. Um, so there's a joy to, I think, the make room. <laughs> it's a quiet one. Um, and like, like sometimes, I mean, I love working with other people, but sometimes on the days when it's just me in there, um, just like this sort of like, I don't know, there's just like uh, a happiness and two... One with uh, the milk. Yeah, yeah, two yeah. sort of doing this process over again, which is sort of like back to like, I wouldn't want to do 20 cheeses too, because um, there, there is something to repeating the same process, you know, 20, 80, a hundred times and learning and getting better as, as you go and learning differences and being by yourself doing it. I don't know. There, there's just a kind of, I mean, <laughs> there's a kind of happiness to that repetition. Yeah. I think so. I feel like I could, um, if I could just clear one week and make the same cheese every day for a week straight, I can't imagine how acute my observations would be, I think, just noticing the subtle differences. Oh I'm jealous of those monks who make one or two cheeses yeah. <laughs> for a hundred years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we try to make, you know, that, that's the thing with our line, is they, they, trying to have a balance between you know the far, having enough for the farmer's market table and having some, to, you know, maybe 30% of our output goes wholesale um, to please that wholesale market. So anyway, um, so unfortunately, I can't make two, maybe one day. <laughs> what about the challenge? What, what, what is your, one of your greatest challenges or what, what keeps you up at night? Oh, gosh. Hmm. There's a lot of things. <laughs> it's scary um, to think about just, that, isn't uh, it? You know, <laughs> I've... I've never been a great multitasker and like that is so inherent in this job. Um, especially as the years go on and I have more responsibility and especially at this place versus other places. Um, we were, we've had maintenance people ask myself and Andrew, you know, who's your, who's your facilities manager? And, you know, we just look at each other and laugh. Um, but, uh, and uh, so, yeah, it's just, the amount of hats you have to wear in this business can sometimes be challenging. <laughs> oh, that's a that's a really good answer. Yeah, I think we can um, relate to that. You know, I wish yeah. I had taken some, I don't know, Votech plumbing courses or something, or electrician HVAC courses. Or <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> that should be part of repair. like. Yeah. Maybe they should have that at ACS. There should be some like. Yeah. <laughs> the mechanics of cheese making and how to avoid the electrician bill. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But, um, it would have a. I bet it would be standing room only. Oh, I bet. Yeah, <laughs> totally. That's right. Oh boy. Thanks so much for having us today. Yeah. No. Yeah. Thank you. It's Thanks. just a delight to come and chat cheese and dish a little bit. Yeah. Have that honest conversation and uh, 
Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for letting us invite ourselves over and eat all oh. your cheese. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's been lovely. I love sharing it. Collective Creamery is Stephanie Angstadt, Sue Miller, and Alex Jones. Jordan Heil produced the podcast, and Mike Lorenz wrote our music. You can hear him on Thursday nights at the Tired Hands Brew Cafe in Ardmore, Pennsylvania. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can learn more and subscribe to our cheese subscription at collectivecreamery.com.